Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 355 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 26, 2015. Got a big show for you this week on the podcast. We're going to talk a little recruiting. Got signing day just over a week away. Questions on the team, question on coaching, lots of stuff to get to. If you have any questions, email us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or if you want to leave a voicemail, call us at 206 888 Five, five, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. You can find all the old episodes, all 354 of them before this, plus all the extra ones we do during the week. We had Curtis Conway on this past week, so go to peristylepodcast.com if you missed that one. Former USC great. And we're going to have Dan Weber on later on the show. we got Coach Harvey Hyde coming up right now. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Everything is great, man. It's exciting. Now, this is the time of year I used to love. Recruiting. I used to love recruiting. That's one thing. You know, a lot of coaches don't like to recruit. But when I coached, uh, I just loved to recruit. I just loved to meet people. I loved to going in their homes. I loved talking to coaches, equipment guys. I loved talking to the people that make a difference. And really believing believing in my product, believing in uh, if you're willing to, to, to come to UNLV or come to Pasadena City College or come to wherever I'm at, that I'm going to take care of you and we're going to win. And if you don't come with us, then we're going to beat you. <laughs> so I just gave him an alternative. And I remember when I was at, in the, at UNLV, I told the people that, I said, we're going to own the city. We're going to get the players that are in the city. And, you know, you're free to go anywhere else you want to go, but make sure you plan on living there. Because the players that come and play at UNLV, which is a growing area, when we call for a recommendation and when you graduate from UNLV, you're going to be first in line to get a job. If you're going to go to Laramie, if you're going to go to Colorado Springs, if you're going to go to these other areas and plan on living there, because when you come back here, our guys are going to get those jobs. So it was just part of the recruiting and different angles people use. And it's great. I was just motivated. I used to love to go recruiting. I just loved to go in and meet the parents and the people behind the scenes and the coaches and talk to them, and I'm a people type of person, so I used to I used to love it. And I think that's something that USC does as well, Coach. And it, you know they they sell that network. I mean, a lot of the is the NFL stuff or the national prestige and things like that. But I think the network is something that's always sold. And um, I mean, I got my first job out of college, you know, when I was an engineer, and the when I went to a, a job fair and the guy was a USC guy and he wanted to hire another USC guy. So it's, it's funny. Like you've seen that network. That was years ago, of course, but you've seen that network in place. And I think you see a lot of former football players getting these you know different jobs in finance or advertising or wherever they're going. Um, I mean, it's, it's something, if you want to stay in LA, I think that's something that USC sells. And it's interesting that you could have, you did the same thing uh, in Las Vegas. Well, you have to do that. Networking is what it's all about. The meeting people, uh, Remember, uh, always being a proper, always dressing proper, always addressing people properly, always saying, yes, sir, please, thank you, ma'am, may I help you with this? Those are the words that open the door because you never get a second chance at your first impression. 
So it's very, very important that you teach the necessities. It's not always being smart. It's also being able to communicate with people and be able to make them believe that, hey, I want this job. Please give me an opportunity. I don't care what I make. Just give me a chance. Makes sense, Coach. We're going to talk about recruiting with our first question. Uh, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, and you can call them at 1-800-888-7287. Check them out if you want concerts, sporting events, go to theater tickets, anything like that, sctickets.com can help you out. And uh, Coach, this is our buddy from SEC land. I wanted to call and ask you a little bit about recruiting, and uh, here's a question for you. What's good, Ryan and Coach Hyde? This is Brian from Birmingham. Checking in again, SC fan and SEC country. Coming down the stretch, I wanted to get Coach Hyde's comments on um, recruiting. Let's see what we locked up. Osa this past Friday, four remaining targets left, Green, Marshall, Gustin, and Houston. If you had to pick on which one we would possibly miss out on, who would it be? My thoughts would probably be either Marshall or Gustin. Not sure. I think Green and Houston are pretty much uh, with us, especially with them being Sarah alums. Want to get your comments on it. As always, go Trojans. And, uh, Coach, if I, I can give people a little rundown real quick. Osa Messina yeah. was talking about is the five-star linebacker from Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, there's another four-star linebacker, Porter Gustin, who he had mentioned, uh, also from Utah, a little further away from Salt Lake City. And then three local prospects, um, Iman Marshall, five-star cornerback from Long Beach Poly, and then the two Sarah kids, uh, defensive end uh, Rashim Green and linebacker John Houston. Um, so those guys are kind of like the the final five. They picked up one uh, on Friday, also, or, or, you know, previous to the weekend, Osa Messina. Now those other four guys are kind of the big names left on the board. He was asking you about your thoughts on those guys. Well, you know, uh, it's a funny thing uh, in recruiting when a five-star commits towards the end it's more or less a ripple effect, which means, uh, hey, if he's going there, let's go with him. And uh, if I'm going there, how about uh, Houston, you go there. And, and Houston, how about Marshall? Marshall, you go there. These kids know each other. It's not like they don't communicate. They go on the same visits when they go to different universities and stuff. So they've got a plan on where they're going to go to school. All of them do. They're just holding out for the thrilling thrill of the, the national signing day to make that announcement and make the national news and make the local news and and keep the coaches, uh, you know, sort of uh, on pins and needles. Uh, I would think by now, I would say of those players, I would say all of them are leaning towards one school or two schools. I'm not saying they're all leaning towards USC, but I'm saying that I would guess they are leaning towards the school of their choice right now. I would guess Marshall is the one that I would say I'm not quite sure what he's thinking about. And and not that he isn't a good kid, and not that, but he's given the less out as far as uh, a commitment or what he's thinking about or what, what he's going to do. As far as I'm concerned, Ryan, I mean, uh, he wouldn't surprise me a bit if he went to UCLA or, or somewhere else. But I would say that I, I have a feeling, and, and I might be wrong, Ryan, but I have a feeling that Green, uh, Houston, Gustin, uh, Marshall, and I don't think I missed anybody. I no, think they're was... all going to be Trojans. Yeah, I, mean, I think you would say that all of them are at least kind of leaning that way. We felt that Osa Messina was the whole time, and he ended up picking USC. I got to talk to John Houston 
Uh, Sunday night he played in the uh, West Coast Bowl. He's still listing five different schools. But his dad was there at the game, and he was wearing a USC shirt. You kind of think most likely he's coming to SC. Same thing with Rasheem Green. Uh, Iman Marshall was visiting, officially visiting LSU over the weekend, coach, and had a picture with him and Ed Orgeron. So that's certainly uh, you know a possibility there. He's He probably puts up the biggest smoke screen and stuff, but a lot of people feel that he's just going to end up at USC. And then Port Augustine's a little harder to read. Him and uh, Osamacita are both linebackers, but they are they play different positions. So you know you you would think that that wouldn't impact you know his decision, but we'll see. But I I think Steve Sarkeesian has a chance to close, you know, go for four for four again on signing day, like he did last year, and it was very important, Coach. I mean, you talk about the players he got, like the Damian Mama, you know, Damian Mama and uh, Dory Jackson and Juju Smith. I mean, all those guys were big contributors, and those were signing day decisions and I think the same thing could happen this year you land those four guys on signing day it's it could have a major impact on your team I mean you're how many wins would that have been coach if you didn't get a Juju Smith and a Dory Jackson I don't know I mean they don't definitely don't win nine games if they don't get those guys no they can make an impact these are impact players which means they can play as freshmen you can find a place for them to get on the field or they'll develop into players they're players that you really don't redshirt but they don't want to redshirt they're coming to USC to get the degree and also to get to the NFL. So these are players that uh, if you mention redshirting to them now in the recruiting process, they'd go somewhere else. So uh, I do. I, I agree. I think these players know the numbers are down at USC, that they have an opportunity of coming in, that especially the positions they play, they look at them and they say, you know, I could start there. Uh, I think they've got a great shot at getting them, and I think the impact at the final day of, of announcing uh, you're all going to USC and you put that hat on or that jersey on or whatever you're going to do in your principal's office or the auditorium of your school, I think brings a lot of momentum to the USC football program, the national image of USC, because this goes all over the country, and I think it will elevate them. Now, I might be wrong here, Ryan. You do the the polls and everything. But I would think if they got all four of those guys that they would go to number one, the number one class. Yeah. I, now the problem is Alabama has a, a pretty awesome class going right now. I don't know if they could pass Alabama. At least I haven't studied since we've been at scout the last five months. Um, I haven't really studied how their point system goes and how those rankings go. But from what I understand, I think, Two or three would be logistic. I mean, uh, you know, a realistic uh, expectation. It might be tough to pass Alabama. They got so many five-star dudes in right now. But I mean, USC closes with this many again. I think their average star rating will be higher, and uh, certainly a, a great chance to you know have, if it's not the number one class, you know, at least two or three. I agree with you, and I, I don't know. I know Alabama has five five stars. What, what does SC have? One five star? Uh, two with a, a few more potentially coming. <laughs> Right. Plus, they have more uh, four stars than any other school in the country. So I'm looking at it. Say, say more come and you have more four stars, depending on how the point system works. And I'm not saying this is going to make you the number one team in the country. I'm just saying it's always good to have the momentum of thinking and knowing you had a positive recruiting year. And I think it's something that you can sell. Uh, I think it's something you can sell the fan base and I think he sold it last year well and I know there was a lot of criticism about Steve Sarkeesian you know during the season you could argue the nine months he had that weren't the season were about as good as you could ask for 
you know, heading into a first-year head coach. And then certainly there's some ups and downs during the season, some good wins and some some bad losses for sure. But I think if he can keep that going again, you know, get a, a good signing day, good spring football and off-season workouts and stuff, it it builds all that momentum again. People might forget about the Hail Mary and all that kind of stuff and really just give this team another shot. And like, hey, you got to nine wins. See if you can improve on it this year. Can you win the Pac-12 South? Can you you beat UCLA and, you know, things like that. So I think this certainly gives him a lot of momentum, Coach. Not just the players that will help the team, but it kind of, you know, rejuvenates the fan base a little bit that might have a little bad taste in their mouth from some of the games from from the season. I agree with you. It gets people excited again about football, but I don't think they'll ever forget the issue of Hail Mary. Okay, <laughs> Ryan, I'm not, you might try to put, wash it out of your mind or something, but uh, I don't think people will ever forget that. Okay. Yeah, it's probably not forgettable there. But uh, but one more recruiting kind of question, Coach, uh, or just a, t- a tie over. Tarek wrote in and said, with the commitment of Osa Messina, he's the five-star linebacker we were talking about, do you see USC being more of an attacking defense this year? think he could make that kind of an impact. Well, gosh, I hope so. You know, one thing I've always said is I I think that uh, you've got to play offense and defense. I say this every week. I say this every week as far as, you know, defense has got to be fun. You've got to be able to line up and mix up people and go after them. Even in the Pro Bowl yesterday, if they did a couple of things they weren't supposed to do, oh, man, the whole sideline went crazy. Hey, you're not supposed to do that. You know, because it does mix up uh, your thoughts on who you're supposed to block. And when you're stay vanilla and you just stay in one type of defense, people get comfortable on who they're supposed to block. And they can make adjustments easier on, on the way uh, you're playing on that defensive side of the football. But uh, because you get a uh, Messina doesn't mean you're going to blitz more or stunt more. But he's an athlete. You need athletes on defense. And he's an athlete. He's a better athlete. Nothing against the outside linebackers or inside linebackers. Pollard has played great and Serrano and so on. But this kid can run. This kid, I think, returned punts and played tailback. In, in high school. Now, you know, you got to be, be a pretty good athlete to do that. So I think he, he gives you more of a running type of player on defense, and uh, I certainly would bring him. I certainly would stun him. But he's 6'3", I'm guessing. I haven't measured him. He's around, everyone says, 6'3", 230 pounds, and he's just a kid. And he looks like, to me, like he likes the game of football. And if you have to, if you like the game of football, you want to make an impression, you want to play hard, you like going after people. You like shaking them up. And he's, yeah, he's a guy that's kind of like, if people haven't seen him play, we put video up on uscfootball.com from some of the different games and stuff he's played in and all-star games and stuff. He's kind of like a little bit bigger. He might even be 6'4", coach. Um, like a bigger, like kind of Sue Cravens kind of guy, like that athlete. Like how, who knows what he's going to grow into? Um, you know, he could it be like a rush end or something? I'm not sure. You know, probably a, a really good outside linebacker in this uh, in this system. But athletes like that, I think the linebackers you've seen from USC on the team right now, coach, in the in this kind of three four scheme, I think you want you know bigger linebackers. And USC's had pretty much smaller linebackers, so I think bringing in some of the linebackers from this class, including Osa Messina, who's one of my favorite players I've seen play this year. I think it, it could open up some opportunities to to change some things around. I, I feel they felt like maybe the linebackers weren't big enough last year. Shouldn't feel that way next year, I think. Well, the linebackers played hard. I want to tell you that. The linebackers played hard and utilized all their athletic ability last year, but they just weren't athletic enough to take on 
the option teams, the run reads, the athletic quarterbacks, and stuff that you're facing today. So if you're going to have to stop athletic people, you've got to have athletic people playing those positions and playing hard at the same time, and it more or less equals the field. It just makes sense. And I think the, this is the type of player you want on, on the field. For sure. Uh, okay, let's see. We'll go to Tarion. And he said, do you have any idea why the NCAA rules for turning pro are so different between football and basketball? And how anyone thinks that uh, one year and out basketball rule makes any sense for the athlete or the school? That's uh, Terry. Not that USC's had to worry about that lately. They used to, but not much anymore, at least on the basketball side. Yeah, well, that rule is uh, the way it is, is because a freshman kid or a kid that's a sophomore is not ready to come out and play in the NFL. He would get annihilated. I mean, he's not physical enough. He's not knowledgeable enough. He's not strong enough. All of the above to go play in the NFL. It's actually protecting the player. You hear players that even are playing now uh, in the pros that go directly from all-star games to the minicamp saying, my gosh, the difference of college football and then getting with the vets is unbelievable. So it's, it's quite a difference between uh, being a, a basketball player and having athletic ability after one year to go to the NBA than it is a football player after a year or two to go to the NFL. It, won't, it just doesn't happen. Uh, so I think that's the reason for the rule. I think it's a smart rule. All right, Coach. So we got one last one. We were talking last week about George Farmer and going early, and, and you had mentioned something about burning his red shirt, and it was, I think, one play or something. And then a couple of people wrote in. Um, Forrest wrote this one in. He said, I love the podcast. I always listen. Uh, but the last podcast, I couldn't help but notice that Coach Hyde let his emotions get the best of him a little bit and make a false statement regarding George Farmer's first season. I think you should correct this on the podcast. Um, Coach Hyde stated that Farmer's redshirt year was burned on one play, and I knew immediately it was wrong. Here's his 2011 stats, and he said he uh, had four catches um, for, I think it was 42 yards, no touchdowns, um, and average was average. Yeah, okay. And then he had some, uh, yeah, four catches for 42 yards with a 10.5 average. So granted, it's not much. But truth is, the truth is the truth. I hope you agree. Thanks for the great work you guys do on the podcast and fight on from Forrest. Hey, I want to thank you for people like you. I stand corrected. That's why coaches and head coaches have great people surrounding them, to be able to help them during a game or during a podcast. And uh, if I uh, made the wrong statement, I apologize to you here. And I think basically I got that thought is when he ran that first play, I said, oh, no. They burned a redshirt year. Then probably he did come back and play. I couldn't remember those other plays. But uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and I stand corrected. Yeah, and I, th- I think that was the case, Coach, where you thought he might redshirt. And uh, yeah, we've, we've seen that happen in the past, too, um, where things kind of get burned there. He did, you know, so he did make some some contributions to the team. Obviously not a whole lot, but um, I mean, considering only four catches, he only had 30 in his whole career. So I guess that's still a significant percentage of – the catches he had in his career because of all the injuries and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it was, I, that was to me, coach, that was a very, uh, it was very touchy. I think for USC fans, there were some that are very supportive and some that were very upset that he would leave because he was a, you know, a veteran guy that they still wanted to see. He's a former five-star player. They still want to see him have great success in college. And who knows? He could go on and have great success in the NFL, 
But when you follow a five-star guy through high school for, you know, they follow these guys for two or three years, you know, through Sarah High School, and then what's going to happen when he gets to USC? They never got that satisfaction of seeing him go crazy. And, you know, two touchdowns against Notre Dame was great, uh, but it wasn't the kind of career that they're hoping for. So I think a lot of fans, Coach, wanted to see him have this just breakout year. All the injuries are gone, has a huge senior year, and then move on to the NFL. And they, they feel I think they feel better about it following his recruitment. But now he kind of left with the, there's like just something that's that's not quite there. It wasn't quite completed. You know, your puzzle isn't finished yet. And uh, they, they wanted some closure there, I think. And, and you're exactly right. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think he should come out. And I gave you the reasons last week why I think he did. And uh, I just think that he needed a banner year. And he certainly did prove he got better, better, better at the end of the year. And then after the Holiday Bowl, I think he became pretty flustered. And I think that they made that decision to uh, come out. And uh, I hope that doesn't haunt him. I want to wish him just like you do, the best of luck. He's a great athlete. As I told you, down at the Holiday Bowl, the fastest guys on the team, or at least I thought the fastest guys on the team's race down there, and he was the fastest. And to lose that type of team speed is something you can't replace. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. We'll uh, keep this one a little shorter this week. For uh, off-season stuff, again, questions, send them in, podcast at uscfootball.com. We thank everyone for sending in the questions, and it's fun to talk throughout this off-season as we get close to signing day, get close to spring football, and uh, we got plenty more coming up in the weeks to come. So thanks again, Coach, for coming on. Ryan, thank you very much, and for all of you that do make this show by sending in your questions, we thank you. So uh, have a great week, and we'll be back with you next Monday. Yeah, sounds good. And everyone else, back in a minute, we're going to talk with uh, uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. A little bit more USC football. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. As promised, Dan Weber, uscfootball.com. Beat writer extraordinaire joining the show, talking about the USC Trojans. A lot of questions with the team doing their winter workouts. Dan, what's going on, man? How you doing? Pretty good. Uh, pretty uh, excited about the possibilities, it's pretty amazing when you think about it that this team at, you know, getting through sanctions and playing with as few as, you know, 40, 44 scholarship guys is, is being projected into the, you know, top four for next year's college football playoffs. It's pretty, uh, pretty remarkable when you think about it. And with the attention that Cody, you know, Kessler is getting, 
terms of the Heisman and all that. Uh, pretty amazing. It, it really speaks to the power of USC, I think, that in the, you know, in all the, you know, tough times and coaching turnover and all that kind of stuff, uh, the Trojans have hung in there. Yeah. And you, you know, and you mentioned the rankings. We had actually a question about that. So maybe we can jump off on that and get your uh, thoughts on it. So I'll play you the voicemail one for you, Dan. Here you go. What's up, guys? This is Sean from Kentucky. Uh, just wanted to call in and get your all's take on, in general, uh, the rankings for this coming 2015 season. Uh, ESPN released their way too early top 25, and they had USC as four, and I've seen a couple other places with USC at five. Uh, they tend to hover around that top five uh, area, and I've seen a lot of uh, response on the message boards that are against that that think that's way too high and i'm kind of a glass half full type guy and i'd rather be there and be ranked uh early on top four five six because as we've seen this year it enables you uh to be able to lose a game early or maybe lose a game you shouldn't lose and still work your way back into the playoff i mean essentially that's what alabama did that's what uh ohio state did you know, they were able to lose a game early and then win enough games in a row towards the back end of their schedule to get into a playoff spot. So I don't think it's as, quote, bad as what people are making it. Uh, but thanks for the podcast and fight on. Yeah, um, always good to hear from Sean and from Kentucky. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any downside, to be honest. Uh, uh, you know, I think they've learned their lesson last year when they got – got to number nine after the Stanford game and saw what happened with Boston College. I think that's a lesson that will stick with them. And uh, I think there's nothing but positive to, to being, uh, you know, in that group uh, or, you know, as one of those teams with the chance. I mean, Ohio State, I think, last year, the way too early top 25 uh, ESPN hit three of the four. The only one they missed on was Ohio State, but they hit them at number nine. So, you know, people can dismiss these as, well, you know, just literally way too early. But they weren't really way too early last year. They were on the money. And uh, I think you know, the fact that the way they're looking at USC is this. USC, they think, if they look at everybody in the Pac-12, they think USC's got the best chance to win the Pac-12. You win the Pac-12, you're probably going to be in the playoffs. I think it's that simple. That that's how they're looking at it. USC, as far as they can tell, you know, from people around the rest of the country, they know where the talent is. They look at a at a Cody Kessler. They look at a, uh, uh, a Juju Smith, a Dory Jackson. They look at those guys and say, you know, they've got some special some special players. They've got that offensive line where they're all back, big, strong, athletic. We'll see, you know, if they can get it together so they can really block the run. Uh, but uh, it's hard, I guess, for you know people nationally to, to make a case for anybody else over USC. And they know the issues that they had last year, and yet those were issues where they should have won you know, with a fairly young team, not issues where they weren't good enough, except for the UCLA game, which you know everybody, I'm sure, thinks, well, you know, Brett Hundley's gone. Maybe now they'll figure out how to, you know, attack UCLA. But, uh, but I think it's that simple. 
they, to, to most of the country, USC looks like they're in the best position to win the Pac-12. You win the Pac-12, you're probably going to be in the playoffs. I think, I think that's where it is, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think in the beginning of the year, people were talking about, oh, there's going to be three SEC teams, and you started to see how the playoffs were going to work. Like, that just wasn't going to happen. So, Oregon, you know, could lose, and they could, you know, USC could lose a game and still make the playoffs. So, I think we realize that now. Um, and you also mentioned about Cody Kessler, Dan. So, Charles and Carson said, Dan had an article called Just Saying, where he advocates Cody Kessler as a legitimate Heisman candidate, and he stated that against top competition, Cody wasn't to blame for the play calling. So my question is, do you think he's to blame for the 85% of the balls aimed at Nelson Aguilar and not looking at the matchups while at the line of scrimmage? And also, do you think Clay Helton's going to take over the play calling? Sark sometimes loses himself with game management in key situations. That's Charles and Carson, which kind yeah. of contradicts himself there a little bit. It seems like you're taking a shot at Cody and then taking a shot, shot, shot at Sark. Yeah, Sark. Uh, I think it's the uh, it's the Paris style way. Uh, <laughs> uh, shots for everybody. Uh, yeah, I think you know, Cody obviously had a comfort level with Nelson. It was hard to ignore Nelson. He worked so hard. He uh, he did you know so many things so well. He and Cody obviously threw together a lot during the summer. You know during the off off season, all the you know times that they you know that they could. So I think it was a case of with as many other receivers as there were, it, it wasn't as easy for any of them, other than Juju, who's you know again he's a true freshman, started out where you have to build that rapport with your quarterback, and uh, I think you know that eventually happened. I don't think there's any question. That that started to happen, and uh, you know you could see uh, you know Cody going to Juju almost as much as as uh, as Nelson as the season went on in certain games. Uh, obviously, you saw the touchdown pass to Adoree, and he was obviously he clearly looking for Adoree against Nebraska there. So I just think it it was, it was a case of one just really dominant receiver. A uh, veteran, three-year, you know, three-year guy, and a lot of other younger guys who had not established themselves. And with all of them playing, it wasn't, you know, there just wasn't the opportunity. I think that's one of the things you'd like to see built into practice a little bit more uh, in terms of, you know, practicing more like they did in August. And I know that was a that's a balancing act with the numbers USC had. So if you don't run as many plays in practice and you've got a number of wide receivers, you don't always get a chance to build up that, you know, uh, chemistry between the quarterback and the second, third, fourth guys. But, but I think that'll be something that they really focus on this year and come out and really – I mean, the big advantage they've got is they do have a lot of those guys who can catch the ball and get it upfield. You know, the uh, uh, Jenny Harris, for example, and Stephen Mitchell and Darius Rogers. And I think uh, Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick and Bryce Dixon are going to be used in ways in which they won't just look like tight ends. So I think Cody is going to have, you know, a lot of different ways he can go with the ball. And I think, I think you'll see more of that. And I think it's a, you know, it's a valid, you know, point to say, this is what they need to work on for sure. All right. Uh, Thanks for that question. Let's move on. We want to talk about the, that was from Charles. Let's talk about the uh, winter workouts a little bit. David in Orange County said, after watching the uh, winter 
player workouts real close. We saw some of the videos we put up there on uscfootball.com. I'd like to see the receiver snatch the ball from the air instead of waiting on the ball to come to them. Attack the ball. Also, does it look like the ball is always late, forcing receivers to wait on the ball instead of chasing the ball down? Thanks, David, in Orange County. I think that's what happens when there are no defenders. Uh, you know, the receivers get where they're going quicker than they would if they got to run by a, you know, somebody's in press coverage or a linebacker or whatever. So, so I think that's just the, the normal, uh, you know, way it works when you're you're basically. Uh, you know, you'd probably be going too fast if they were catching it immediately right now on the run uh, because they're probably not going to get to where you see them in the videos with a defender. Uh, so I think the timing isn't, isn't bad. And, and from what I've seen, I have seen them really working on, uh, on snapping the ball. I mean, I noticed that especially, well, Darius always does it, he just got those kind of hands, but I, I really noticed it with uh, both Juju and uh, Steven Mitchell, I thought, were uh, more so than we had seen, and you could hear that, you know, snap or crack, whatever, when the ball hits hits their hands, but I thought, I, I thought, I thought there was definitely an emphasis on that. The kids were definitely working on that, and uh, I think you're right. I think that's, uh, that's uh, some, uh, you know, a point of emphasis that, that I think they're going to you know, focus on. No question about it. Um, all right. Thanks for that one. Steven had a question. Do you think that Buck Allen, um, Leonard Williams, and Nelson Aguilar, because they're from out of state, uh, you know, they're recruited from out of state, that it makes it easier for them to make that decision to leave school early? No. I mean, I, I don't – I guess you could say – Possibly was it easier for Hayes to stay, you know, with a fam, you know, and a kind of a, you know, a community, a high school here, a family, coaches and all that. I guess that you can make that point. I don't, I think that's true. I mean, I think it was the right time for him to go, but yeah, I think uh, probably easier uh, to make that call when you're a Florida kid at USC than maybe if you're a local kid and, Everybody in the family is uh, kind of invested in, uh, you know, in USC. And uh, so eh, I think a, a, a good point. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I think it's maybe a little bit easier. But, you know, you saw like a George Farmer. He was the least likely to to leave early. And he's local. So he's about as local as it gets. Yeah, I think in George's case, it, it had nothing to do with local or far away or whatever. And, uh Someday, maybe we'll be able to tell you exactly how that went down. Still haven't seen anybody figure out exactly uh, what the ultimate rationale for George uh, in that situation was. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I think, you know, having a family, having, a, you know, your whole community here and behind you might make it easier to stay. Not sure if that's a good reason, good way to do it, but... Uh, but I think so, yes. Uh, let's see. John had a question. What did the ruling a couple of weeks ago in the Todd McNair suit really mean for USC and the NCAA? Uh, it's really irritating to see other schools' transgressions either dismissed or reduced, and nearly all were considerably worse than what happened at USC. Thanks, as always, John. Basically, it just uh, 
I mean, there really wasn't a ruling. There was just a uh, a hearing. It was actually October 27th now. But it basically said within 90 days they will decide whether the uh, 700 pages of mostly emails that the NCAA submitted to try to get the case dismissed will be made public. Uh, and so we've got another, you know, 10 days or so, not quite 10 days, no, this week, uh, uh, to see if that happens. And, um, but then they still have to have a hearing uh, before the uh, California Appeals, Court of Appeals on, uh, on the basic issue. This is just whether uh, uh, you know, the emails who, who, that have been submitted, and according to California law, basically once you've submitted material in a, uh, in a public case, then that's available to the public. The NCA is trying to get that sealed. Uh, but uh, then let's say they decide, okay, that's going to be unsealed. The public gets to see it. Then they still have a hearing on the second issue, which is the key issue, which is does the case go forward and uh, or does it get dismissed as the NCA wants it to be dismissed or pretty silly uh, motion that wasn't designed uh, for a case like this at all. So chances are they don't, they don't win on either one, but, you know, how many times we've seen Hail Marys go through this year, and they're trying, you know, the NCA's trying to Hail Mary and just hoping, you know, they're they're delaying. They're hoping they get lucky somehow, and uh, and we'll see. But I, I don't know that, the re, you know, there really hasn't been a ruling yet, just that, uh, that there's going to be a ruling is what they said, basically. Once they hear it, uh, the written ruling has to be released in, within 90 days, so. By the 1st of February. We should know. We should be able to see. All right. Uh, we've been waiting. We'll keep waiting, and we'll see what, see what ends up happening. Uh, th- okay, this is a really kind of a weird one from Anonymous Guy. Uh, I-, I believe he's taking a shot at Sark, uh, Dan. Uh, but I'll, I'll kind of read what he has to say and then uh, kind of get your takes on it. He said, looking at the last couple of weeks of the great coaches in college in the NFL, someone sent this question to me below. And it's really unfathomable that it's actually true. Big picture, the program is still at least five years away with another coach at the helm. So he said, so here's the question was, every single coach at every one of these schools listed below has, a, has at least accomplished one of these goals in their head coaching careers except one. Uh, he's talking about Miami, Florida, Penn State, LSU, Notre Dame, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State, Tennessee, and USC. They either won a national championship uh, or division uh, conference championship, individual postseason coaching award, like coach of the year, won 10 games in a year, uh, finished in the top 25 in the final coaches poll, he's saying before the 2014 season. Um, and then he said every coach in the Pac-12 has accomplished one of these goals in their head coaching career, except for one. They, they won a championship, division championship, individual postseason award, 10 games in a year, and then finished in the top 25 in the final coaches poll. He said, bonus fact, all 23 coaches on the list have accomplished one of these feats in their first five years of coaching careers. Uh, that's anonymous guy. But I guess you could say Sark finished in the top 25 this year, right? So I, he, you know. Yep. So I, I guess so he's inching yeah. in, inching in. And he's, uh, you know, recruiting like he's at SC. And there's no question about it. He, uh, you know, got a great jump last year thanks to uh 
you know, the work of Ed and T. Martin and all the that previous staff. But he he didn't screw it up. He 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 uh, closed on every one of those kids. He certainly seems to have uh, you know been able to be on the right path recruiting wise, recruiting like an SC coach this year, uh, taking you know advantage of SC the way you have to do it. And you know the one question now is uh, getting the team to play like an SC team. And you could say. His track record at Washington probably wasn't the track record that would get you the USC job. Uh, but then there are those who would say, well, John McKay, you know, an assistant at Oregon, his record wasn't, the, you know, the kind that, that would get you the USC job either. He made, you know, his, you know, the USC job, basically, uh, you know, John McKay turned it into the USC job by what he himself did. It took him two years to get there. I don't think you get two years now. I think you better be there by the second year. The circumstances are so unusually different at USC right now. And and the way year one for Sark went, with the uh, total lack of preparation at, for the Boston College game, the two you know, meltdowns in the fourth quarter, almost three, Utah, Arizona State, and Arizona, and then the uh, UCLA game where they didn't show up. Uh, those would give people pause and say, hmm, you know, this is a it's a really big year for Sark to prove, yes, yeah, I am the guy. Uh, he's got to prove that. He's got to coach like he's the guy. He's got to be, you know, tough-minded. Got to say, look, you know, we're USC. We're not going to, you know, tiptoe around. We're not going to, you know, try to avoid losing. We're not going to try to, you know, shorten the game. Uh, or we're not going to coach one way in the spring and summer and August, and then after a couple of games, coach a different way as the season moves on. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think the resume issue is, you know, other than, you know, having been at USC and having had, a, you know, a real good comfort level with, with a lot of the people at USC, uh, it, it was uh, – was something of a reach, and uh, and I think that's what you know when you see Sark at the end of the Notre Dame game, for example, saying we're changing. This is you know we're going forward. We're demanding. We're physical. We're tough-minded. Uh, I think that's all a reaction to that to prove that you know that he can be the kind of tough-minded, disciplined, hard-nosed you know coach who is comfortable being at USC, comfortable you know, handling a program that requires one of the very best coaches in college football. And, you know, I think Sark knows he has to be be one of the very best coaches in college football because he's at one of the very best programs in college football. I don't think that's wrong for people to say you expect the coach at USC to be one of the very best in college football in every way you can do it. So, uh, so you know, I think those things are things that Sark – understands and now he has to be able to do something about him and you know close counts a little bit last year you know unusual circumstances with numbers and things like that but uh it, it doesn't count i don't think going forward i think this year you know it just it is what it is uh you'll see how the, i mean they're saying the right things i think they're doing the right thing i think i think you know Sark did some things i liked 
try to you know total these up, but I thought I thought they handled the competitive situation well. I think kids who showed in practice uh, that they could play got a chance to play. I thought he handled the young guys well. I thought he did. I thought there were some some really you know good things. I think uh, you know he gave Cody uh, a chance to be Cody much of the time, except for certain fourth quarters, and that was you know. That was a, that's an issue, and it, 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 they've got to figure out how to how to get over that. But uh, uh, good question, and uh, it's the question for everybody on on everybody's mind: is uh, how does this match up between uh, you know the program that USC has and can be and the coach? And uh, we'll see. All right. Well, Dan, we got one last one. It's a basketball question. Speaking of coaching, and it's a voicemail one for you, so we'll end the podcast this week on that. Here you go. Yes, this is Richard, the USC basketball fan. This is a question and a comment for Dan Weber. Uh, Enfield mentioned yesterday that they were getting closer. Well, close only counts in hand grenades and horseshoes. Uh, With all the new recruits, the transfers that they have in, they should be better than they are, and still they're at the bottom of the Pac-12 with really no end in sight as far as the losing is concerned. In looking at the games, it looks like Enfield has no idea what's going on, and I think he's completely overmatched in the Pac-12. Um, I would welcome your comments because uh, I don't see it getting better anytime soon. Thanks very much. Enjoy the program. Um, I guess the the nervousness about a USC basketball uh, question is when the questioner says, I'm the USC basketball <laughs> fan, and you think, gosh, there's got to be a couple more now out there. Uh, which is a kind of a negative, because if this were not USC, there'd be thousands of people uh, voicing that same kind of opinion. Uh, and, and, and so you do wish that you know, USC took it a little more seriously, but you know it's a lot of years. And uh, although when you look at, I thought it was really worthwhile to look at some comparisons Saturday. I mean, here's Oregon State playing in the oldest building in the Pac-12, you know, 1950s Gill Coliseum that has the worst locker rooms I've ever seen, college, high school level, wherever. I mean, it's an absolute dungeon, a pit. I know they've tried to put some paint on it and cosmetically fix it up. And here they are. They fire their coach. They had nothing last year. They lose all five, five top scores. They fire their coach in May, not till May. They hire Wayne Tinkle, May 19th, a big, tough guy from the University of Montana. And he comes in. It's unbelievable what he's done in a year. You know, I mean, he's got uh, Gary Payton's son, but other than that, they just, he's created this team. They're 12 and 0 at home. They're whatever, 14 and 5. They've beaten Arizona. And, you know, year one, he didn't even have a whole year. And as you look at USC, you're thinking, wow, now we're already looking toward year three of the Andy Enfield era and wondering, well, if the hope is, okay, you've got two recruits coming in next year too. You know, they kids they list as 6'10". I'm not sure they're, they're quite 6'10". But, and nice prospects, no question about it. But, you know, they have the number 12 recruiting class from last year playing. And they don't look like, you know, when they really have to get a shot, don't look like they know what the heck shot they're looking for. 
don't look like they can really guard you when they absolutely have to guard you, you know, at crunch time in both Oregon games. I mean, they they did a lot of good things. Let's face it, they ought to do some good things. They've got some talent. But they don't look like they really know how to play. And when you, you think about that, that's on the coach. Coaching is, you know, teaching kids how to play, what what they need to do and when they need to do it and how to, how to see the game. And you don't see that as much. I mean, to say that, oh, we hung in there with Oregon State, they're a team that had, had nobody back and didn't have a coach in May. And he has nothing going for him if he's been to Corvallis. I mean, where do you think the nearest big-time basketball prospect is to Corvallis? I mean, it, 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 it's amazing. I mean, coaching really, really matters in college basketball. And turnarounds are possible fairly quickly. And um, I know there are people now saying, well, you're just you know playing out the Pac-12 schedule and see where it goes um, to get ready for next year, year three, as we said, of the Andy Enfield era. And I'm not sure they can afford that. I think they have to start getting better right away. And getting, you know, and showing you, uh, it's, they're going to win some of these games. I don't think they can come close. I mean, one in six in the Pac-12 with the number 12 recruiting class in the country isn't good enough. And two pretty decent transfers. So, um, yeah, I'm, I think they're a long way away, a lot longer away away than they probably should be. And I'll give USC credit. They've done some really nice things for home games at Galen and marketing and getting people in the seats, uh, you know, not a lot, but a decent number, uh, more than maybe, you know, you think they might deserve. And they seem to have a good time except for the way the games are turning out. Uh, but, yeah, I'm with you. I uh, I think this hasn't gone as well as uh, as you probably had a right to hope that it would go this year. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks for coming on the show. we got a little basketball talk in there. We're hoping for some better news, but we'll see if uh, Indiana Field can turn things around as the Pac-12 season goes on. And uh, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 